Hello, and welcome to Under the Brim, where we talk about the mindset and motivation of the athlete under the brim. We want to know how to rodeo athletes and traditional sports athletes compare in their preparation, training, competition, and performance in their sports. Um, I am Dr. Shanna Moody. I'm a professor of kinesiology and human performance here at Sol Ross State University, and I like to call myself an athlete wannabe or a fitlete. And I have never competed in rodeo, even though I love the sport and raised a rodeo athlete. So I'm an avid rodeo mom and fan of the sport. So this podcast has given me the opportunity to bring together my kinesiology background and my former athlete wannabe self (laughs) with the rodeo life that I currently live. Um, And today I'm excited about the guest that I have on. It's a little bit different perspective of what we've been talking about. And so I have um, the people that keep our athletes going um, and keep them in competition. (laughs) And so I have our um, head athletic trainer and one of our student athletic trainers here, and I'm gonna let them do their formal introductions of themselves. Take it away. Go ahead, it's me. So my name is uh, Spot Myers. I'm a senior here at Slurrah State University. Um, I was a trainer for all four years in high school, and I went two years at Howard College and finishing up my second year at Sol Ross. Nice, yes. nice. I never, I didn't know, I wanted you to introduce yourself because I didn't know which name you wanted me to use to introduce you. So. <laughs> Just know me a spot. <laughs> there we go. Perfect, perfect. Well, I'm Billy Ray Laxon. I'm the Associate AD for Sports Medicine, the Head Athletic Trainer. Uh, been doing it for quite a while. Been uh, at uh, Sol Ross for five years and, and enjoying every minute of it and having a good time. Yeah. And so the three of us have kind of a unique connection outside of um, just working at Sol Ross in that we have partnered together on a research study. So, Spot, you want to tell us kind of how that you're the one that instigated it and got it all started. <laughs> so you want to give us a little background on how that got going? You know, I'm the one that troubled you ought to get into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're the troublemaker. Yeah. So uh, I stayed out here during the uh, Christmas break and I was tired of moving pallets at Tractor Supply. And I was like, well, I want to get my personal training going, and I like rodeo, so I'm like, well, let's just do both, and I'll do strength and conditioning for the rodeo team. And so I was getting my personal training certification, and they were like, you got to have a baseline assessment before you do anything about it. You got to know what's going on. And they did an overhead squat assessment along with goniometry, and I was like, well, let's see if there's anything about for rodeo athletes, and there was nothing. And so I kind of looked at Billy, and I was like, hey, let's get this going. What, what do you think about this? He was like, go for it. And uh, Billy Jack Ray uh, threw me to you, and next thing you know, in about a month, month and a half, we got the per- the whole research going, and we got to get it done. Yeah, so there's a problem, a program called the McNair program that helps undergraduate students um, get involved in research and sets them up for um, graduate school applications or future research opportunities or future um, professional endeavors. And so you want to give um, a little bit of history about like what your future aspirations are and why the McNair program is going to benefit you and so why research was important to you in addition to just answering a problem that you thought was interesting. That, that was hard for me because all I wanted to do was just do that research and be done. I didn't want to look, <laughs> I didn't look ahead. I was being lazy. But uh, the McNair programs helped a lot with the grad stuff. It kind of opens up a new door because like, it's nothing like undergrad. It's a whole new level. Uh, you got to get applications going. You got to get you got to build your resume. You, you got to sell your you learn to sell yourself to other people. And so with that, that's kind of helped me go into these boot camps, learning to pay for grad school, learning how to structure your applications and I'm hoping one day it would help me get into medical school. So definitely 
definitely a big, big help for the McNair program. Yeah, well, that was what I was going to get to. So right now you're currently an uh, uh, undergraduate student. You are a kinesiology and human performance major, but your concentration is athletic training, correct? Yes, ma'am. Okay, and so then what is the next step for you after you graduate? Um, so I still got to take some prereqs out of the way, um, organic chem and biochem. So Lots of science. Me. Lots of science. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, offer up your prayers for um, slide. But hopefully by next May or the May after, I'm hoping to kind of get my first round in for medical school, so... We're, we're praying on that. What do you have a goal school that you're trying to get into? So I really like UNT's doctor osteopathic, and then Texas Tech. Sadly, you know, I used to go for A and M, but <laughs> I like their te- uh, their program as well as uh, yeah. guns up, <laughs> especially at University of Mexico because uh, those three also all have role programs and with rodeo. I like the role medicine idea, and I like working with that population a lot more. Okay. So, okay. So let's go back to the research. So you found a problem that there was no answer for, right? Like you, when you started looking into it, there was no research on rodeo athletes. Virtually nothing exists out there at any level, right? So whether it's professional, collegiate, or, you know, anything at all, right? Nothing published. Yeah. Yeah. So a few things in the works, but really nothing formally published, right? Nothing formally, no. Yeah. Nothing, not a lot about injuries or baseline data or much really there was an article uh, i think he says Mayers instead of myers he spells it with an e not an a <laughs> <laughs> but he did a rodeo description of injuries um i think back in the 90s okay um and it was a pretty good study and that was about the only thing i could find really on rodeo athletes other than just abstracts and nothing to submit behind it okay so this fell in line with what you were kind of interested in with personal training but also tied into athletic training as well what you were learning in your coursework yes, yes. yeah so can you explain a little bit about like the overhead assessment and the goniometry measurements and how it relates to athletic training and why it's important, Jackson? Well, yeah. Okay. So with the uh, overhead uh, squat, you know, we're looking at uh, several uh, factors, uh, mainly the muscle imbalance because they will lose their balance if they don't have a good uh, posture or a good uh, uh, quad and versus hamstring uh, set. And uh, in the goniometry part of it, uh, we were looking for, you know, the uh, amount of range of motion. Somebody that's limited in range of motion may have an injury that they're not uh, dealing with or not dealing with very well. Or uh, it uh, may show some uh, predisposing factors to an injury. mainly for the lower body and that was his big deal and so he was looking for heel lift off versus uh, going into a valgus position when you're coming back up out of that squat and uh, he he did a really good job we uh, got a whole team we were able to do the uh, uh, rodeo team mostly I would think we did all the women and most of the guys <laughs> and uh, knocked it out fairly well and and for as our athletic training uh, we got to use the goniometer and uh, use it in just more than just ankle and knee. You know, we were doing the hip, internal and external rotation. And so those sometimes don't always get used. Uh, we eye them instead of actually measuring them. So I think it was a really good, healthy activity for us. So it was a really cool partnership between something you were teaching in class for kinesiology mm-hmm. and something that is useful for athletic training and then bringing in the rodeo team who isn't getting a lot of um, research done about them or support in this area from the most part around the country, not specifically here, but just around the country in general. Um, so it was kind of a unique opportunity to bring all three of those groups together. So you got a whole class involved, right, to help oh, yeah. do the measurements. The whole, um, staff. And, we yeah. even got our, our assistants, all the students, they were doing something at some station. Yeah. 
greatly thankful for all of them that came to help. <laughs> that would suck doing that all by myself. That <laughs> but Billy, so the is this common in other sports? So overhead assessments, goniometry measurements. Do you think there's research baseline assessments? Like, is this used more commonly in other areas? Yes, especially in your jumpers, uh, whether it's track and field or your uh, basketball players, especially women's basketball players. Uh, th this is a, a standard assessment for lower body. Uh, it gives you kind of a clue on their not only flexibility but their strength, and and there is a correlation and not having enough strength versus tearing ACLs. Uh, there are people who are very very strong and still tear their ACL, but uh, definitely if there is a lower quadrant uh, weakness, there's a greater chance. As someone who has torn both ACLs, right, and left, and had both surgeries, one in high school and one in adulthood, I am like, where were you people before I tore both of them, right? Like, where was this at? So that's really interesting. Um, okay, so then when, so for somebody who is like, y'all are talking about overhead squat assessment and goniometry, and I have no idea what that is, Spot, can you give us a, like, breakdown of what those are? Like, so if I was, if I'm listening, and I want to check to see if I have any problems and how could I do the AC, the overhead squat? What would I do? So with the overhead squat, it's basically a full body overview. We just focus on the lower body. And what you do is you have them standing pretty much shoulder width apart, second toe pointing forward, arms in the air, and you just squat. Ideally chair depth. And what we're doing is we're looking for compensations. You know, do their knees go in? Do they favor one side over the other and they're squatting with their hips? Okay, so if you're listening right now, I hope you're standing in front of the mirror doing this as Scott is describing it, right? So standing in front of a full-length mirror right now, arms overhead, feet hip-width apart, and watching yourself squat. You just squat. And so things we're looking for, like do your heels come up, do your toes turn down? All these little things tell us what type of muscle dysfunctions are there. And not only what muscles are underactive, but overactive. So when he says dysfunction, don't think we're calling you like messed up or anything. No, no, we're you're just not. saying that like maybe one muscle group is tighter than the other, mm -hmm. one more muscle group is more flexible. You just have dominance in one area than the other. Right, True. which is not a bad thing, but it, it just kind of helps us. We want to be balanced out. What, what yeah. you want to do. We, that's the idea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there is like an exact ratio of like um, quad, quadricep strength to hamstring strength that is ideal to mm -hmm. improve performance and limit um, injury, correct? Yes. Okay. Did I say that correctly? Okay. In a way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> In a way. No, I, 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 I would agree with her. Yeah. <laughs> I said Billy Shaker. So like, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It, it, it's, it's just like you describe, uh, you know, it, it, depending on uh, how much really uh, foot pounds you can generate with your lower body, you know, you'd like to have your uh, quadriceps, uh, about 80% of that foot pounds individually, and the hamstrings, uh, closer around uh, it used to be like 60 but maybe about 70 75 percent of that foot pounds individually and that way uh you can show a good ratio of uh hands hamstring to quad and uh those uh many times especially in our athletes uh we're about to find out in rodeo athletes uh it's uh, the converse of that that the quads are really really strong and the hamstrings aren't you know okay. and uh, that imbalance can lead to just muscle tears or or problems with the uh, the knee yeah and so i think a lot of times that they just think that their hamstrings are tight and they don't necessarily realize that maybe they're actually weak right exactly exactly the point. exactly okay yeah yes. okay so tell me a little bit about the results that you found so we had more women which is common in research right women are more likely to participate in research than men in typical stereotypically across the country so in all areas but we had more women than men participate but what were your findings so we found that there were movement compromise in a way um, and especially in the hip um, okay. and with hamstring flexibility that that was the biggest deal um, with the overhead squat 
if I remember correct, their toes turned out more, and we had a lot of knee valgus going in. Um, there are so imagine that with rodeo. We, t I mean, you probably think about the way that a cowboy walks, right? They're all walking with their toes turned out, and especially like you're, you know, anybody that's riding a horse, you're trying to spur a horse. So the way to do that is to turn your toes out. Right. So you, you would assume that, right? Like yeah, that's, that makes sense. That makes sense, one. and it matches your hypothesis, right? Right. And then what was the other one that the knees turned out? And so in anybody that's trying to hold on to a horse, you're going to hold on with your knees, not mm -hmm. with your feet. So again, right. that would make sense. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of them, we had a lot of lumbopelvic dysfunction. So like um, a lot of them favored one side over the other. And with women, they did the Instagram pose where they had anterior pelvic tilt. <laughs> and what was cool out of all the, all the six men that we had, they all presented posterior pelvic tilt. Which is interesting because it kind of shows that they're a lot of they're dominant in their posterior chain just a little bit. Okay, wait. So can you explain? Okay, so you called it the Instagram post. So can you explain what anterior pelvic tilt is? Well, I'm not going to show you, but it's basically where you're rocking your butt backwards and kind of arching your back. <laughs> okay, so yeah. So think about if you're if a girl was trying to pose on Instagram and make her booty look lifted and a little more full, um, and she would arch her back and lift her hips, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's anterior pelvic tilt. Mm -hmm. So women were more dominant in that way, or more tilted that way. Yes. Okay, so then what were the men? Men were just the exact opposite. Okay, so more tail tucked under. Tail tucked under, yeah. Yes. Yes, which from teaching yoga to all the athletes, that's what I see too. I have a really hard time getting the male athletes into an anterior pelvic tilt, just seated in a seated position to try to just sit down on the floor with legs out. Like it's very challenging for them to just sit um, in any kind of, even just neutral. I can't even get them from posterior to neutral, let alone anterior, right? Yeah, it's a postural thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, so anything else from the findings that you want to point out that you noticed? Um. I can't think off the top of my head at the moment. Okay. Coffee hadn't settled quite in. But that, that, that's the main That's the main. It's gist morning here it, and it's yeah. raining and it's a little cool for us. Mm -hmm. We're all still trying to get woke up. But Yeah, that's, that's pretty much the main main deal where um, a lot of lumbopelvic uh, the tightness or favorability and mm -hmm. hamstrings were very, very tight. So okay. th those are the big findings. So, so, uh, so what would you recommend? So somebody who has tight hamstrings, do they need to focus more on stretching their hamstrings like we just talked about or strengthening their hamstrings or is it a combination of both? Kind of that mix and play, a combination of both, I'd more or say, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So now what do we do with these findings? Well... Like, what would be your advice based on what you found, your recommendations? How do we use this? So what I want to do is get in with our coach, kind of say, hey, this is what we found, get you and Billy along with it. Like, all right, let's think of some ideas to kind of help get them to moving better. Um, so stretching is good. Um, we want to focus on kind of strength in that area, but also like with stretching, you're doing di some more dynamic work, so basically getting the muscle warmed up and loosened up through movement, not really through static. Um, mm -hmm. That'll kind of keep their strength there more. Mm -hmm. um, That's the challenge that I'm finding right now in yoga and that they all want the deep stretching and they think that it's their hip flexors are really tight, but sometimes I think it's that their hip flexors <laughs> are weaker um, and they want the very relaxing, just passive stretching when really we need more mobility work than mm -hmm. flexibility work. Yeah. Yeah, so trying to figure out how to get them involved in both and want to do both. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So are you enjoying the research? Is it what you thought it was going to be? Like, are you enjoying working with the rodeo athletes? That was actually fun because I was proven wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty hard to swallow, pill hard to swallow, but it was fun figuring out why I was wrong. Like, I thought um, knees valgus and heel rise are going to be the biggest thing ever. And while the knees valgus was kind of there, I was completely wrong with the heels. And they actually did really well um, with their hip flexor, hip extension, and all that. So a lot of the measurements that we got really kind of blew me away. I was not expecting it, which is, which is awesome. I get to learn more about it and it keeps me going. 
Yeah, research is a humbling thing and that you have to accept that being wrong can be good mm -hmm. and that it does teach you, mm -hmm. you know, just like losses in sports, right? right? I mean, they humble you, but they make you to just exactly what you said, crave wanting to learn more and do more and go back and be better the next time. Mm -hmm. So have you been involved in a lot of research, Billy, or is this? Well, yeah, it, you know, especially when I was younger, uh, now in my career, it's usually a research review. Somebody will call you up, hey, I'm doing this, what do you think? And and so I get to read a little bit and, you know, and try to uh, bring in uh, some empirical uh, type information and try to give them, uh, you know, a good two cents, if you will. And then, uh, but it, it's usually, when I'm involved, it's usually through the student activity now. Mm -hmm. And uh, try to be, uh, you know, a mentor, try to help them set it up, uh, try not to make the project too big, you know, because they go crazy. Trying to, me we want to measure everything. No, we don't. We want to try to be exact so we can focus and, th and then relate it to the big picture. Why couldn't you have been my dissertation chair? I went to him with this one <laughs> tiny little thing and he was like, no, 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 let's measure everything. Oh yeah. And I went from, I just want to have a like 75 page dissertation to, oh wait, you're going to have a 350 page dissertation. Well, it made you a better person. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you said that because I went to him and I was like, let's do everything, lower body and upper body. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. You know how long it's going to take just to do ankles <laughs> yeah. and then the knee? And I'm like, oh yeah, you're kind of right. Then you got to do the squat. And I'm like, all right, we'll do lower body. Yeah. So we want to focus and, and, and uh, see how these factors fit into the big picture and uh, and he did a great job so I, I'm really pleased with what he got and it, it is a doorstep uh, uh, activity so it's you know he's now opening the door and then and, and, you know as a graduate study and and maybe even med school that uh, these things will be uh, paying off for him you know yeah. when he starts reviewing and or maybe doing his own research uh, as, as it comes to him yeah, well, and just what you said, that's why it's important to be part of a team so that everybody, you know, like so that we can moderate the ideas and make sure that we're getting all the ideas out there and that they're flowing correctly and that we put a concise idea together and test it properly. And, you know, and so, Spot, when you were doing your initial research to try to put this together to get your initial review to be able to get approval to do the research, you had to base this on traditional sport athletes, right? Like, because there wasn't anything, you know, on range of motion and overhead squat assessment on rodeo athletes. So your initial data, like when you were looking for initial studies to base the kind of the plan on how we were going to format this research, mm -hmm. you had to base it on traditional sports athletes, right? Correct, yeah. And then kind of some of your comparisons to norms were based on traditional sport athletes, right? Pretty, yes, ma'am. Yeah. So how would you say, like, can you, I don't know, it's been a while since you've looked at it, but what would you say about, like, how rodeo athletes compare traditional sports athletes and their, like, range of motion and their competencies Ooh, it's been or compensations? It's been a while since so I've looked at that one. Um, I believe with one study that was going off, it was actually done by an athletic trainer, and they did their whole uh, athletic department. Um, and I think the biggest one was heel rising with them. Mm -hmm. okay. um, for us, that was not the case. Okay. Um, while we did lack a lot of dorsiflexion and the goniometry, so pulling your toes to you, um, that actually wasn't the case. Uh, I think knees out was more common with a lot of their football athletes, and I think it was the exact opposite with their field sports like soccer and baseball. I think mm -hmm. that was different. Um, but that's the only thing I can recall right now because it's just been about a year since I've looked at that. Yeah. <laughs> and so then you and I had talked about that possibly even expanding the study to include the entire 
southwest region of rodeo as a future possibility depending on how things go that is a dream of mine right now yes yeah uh, but yeah. you're a little overwhelmed with science classes right now oh genetics you gotta love it <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we you know there's a possibility that we could expand this so if you're listening to this and you're curious about your own overhead squat assessment or your own um, range of motion measurements talk to your athletic training department at your college if you're a collegiate rodeo athlete and if you're interested in our study then maybe get in contact with one of us and we could see about working with your school to include your school in our study absolutely um, but you've also parlayed this into some other projects as, as well so as part of the McNair project that we talked about you've been able to present this research at a bunch of different conferences correct oh, so yes. what's that experience been like being an athletic trainer at a research conference where most everybody else is presenting on completely different topics nothing related to sports or fitness or rodeo or kinesiology I think the uh, the biggest thing when I first did it was uh, like you know cool topic, but y'all should really see my heart rate right now. That that, <laughs> that was the bigger takeaway. But it was an experience. Um, I get to kind of talk. The first one I did was uh, Doc Spins or Fort Davis Sports Me Medicine Clinic, and I got kind of talk the jargon to kind of all of these medical professionals, and I got to relate to it, and we got to get the ideas and share them, and then I kind of be more confident to go to places like Baylor, for instance, where I did my research and. I kind of got to make it more fun and wild and here at the school our tofoya root research so that all these kind of help prepare me to be a better speaker but also to be kind of more fun with it rather than so tight about it that makes sense well and tell them your fun fact about why it's cool to do rodeo to be one of the first people to do rodeo research on collegiate athletes oh this is this is literally rodeo country um the first rodeo ever was in pegas texas and then the nra college rodeo started here in alpine so it's it's yeah. fitting for home for to start this research here. Yeah, so Sol Ross is the home of Collegiate Rodeo. So we're, you know, the founders of the Collegiate Rodeo Association. So, mm -hmm. yeah, so it's very fitting that we be the, you know, for, forefront of Collegiate Rodeo research. Right. So then you've also met someone through your research that um, has now got you into where you're able to kind of maybe get your name on some professional rodeo athlete research, right? Dr. Jake Miller, uh, he is a uh, MD sports medicine, role medicine guy up in South Dakota, yes. Yeah, so he's really interested in this topic, too, of doing research about professional rodeo athletes and seeing if their habits influence their um, performance and looking at even their um, um, winnings as well, right? Yeah. So a little different than what you're doing, but kind of interesting how when you start something, it makes connections and grows your network. And I think that that's one of the things in college, you know, Billy, that we're always working on is our students making connections um, and that who you know really does make a difference. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so we've talked a lot about so far about working with the rodeo athletes and the research that's happened, um, but tell me a little bit about y'all's background with sports. Did either of you play sports growing up? I mean, I did powerlifting, and I tried to be a basketball player, but apparently in high school you have to make the team to play. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, sort of goes like that. But uh, I did powerlifting for about three or four years and uh, kind of settled down. It's hard to be consistent, but uh, that, that's pretty much my background with sports. What was your favorite lift? Oh, deadlift, 100%. Yeah. I almost had a uh, four-time bodyweight deadlift, so. Wow. Uh, yeah. That's good. <laughs> I'm too tall and lanky for deadlift. <laughs> oh, just, if you pull it fast enough, you ain't got to worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> and so you liked basketball, but just weren't 
didn't quite make the cut. Yeah, coach didn't think I was good enough. Oh, oh you thought you were just the coach didn't. Exactly. Ah, dang coaches. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and what about you, Billy Ray? Yeah, I was a, a youth athlete, junior high athlete, and high school athlete. And, and, it, and I started seeing the pitcher uh, come in that uh, maybe that was going to be it for me as an athlete. Uh, I did like to run and whatnot. But uh, I wanted – athletics was so infectious to me that I wanted to – figure out how I could be a part of it and my niche was taking care of athletes and uh, so it started happening for me and and it was a a, a god-given gift that that just was uh, easy to make a part of my life athletics just took me from coast to coast and took me to the olympics and and uh, I've I've been very blessed. My family has all my both of my sons have been student trainers for me, and oh, wow. uh, my wife has helped me take care of some sick kids uh, over the years. And so th- this was uh, something that just became a part of my life, and and it was because athletics gave me that opportunity, and uh, and, and that desire I wanted to be a part of it, yeah. and that's how it worked out for me. So. Yeah, well, I call myself a Jill of all trades because when I started into kinesiology, it was because I tore my ACL. That's actually what got me started in the field. <laughs> I went through physical therapy and I thought, oh, this is the coolest thing. I want to be a therapist. And then um, I was like, oh, wait, it might be neater to work with the athletes like sooner rather than after surgery. And mm-hmm. so I thought I went into athletic training. I took a couple of athletic training classes and I thought this was really cool. And then I told my boyfriend that I was going to be an athletic trainer and he was like, um, hey, listen, I don't think that we're going to work out if you start traveling with the football team every weekend and you spend every <laughs> evening on the sidelines with them. I don't think that we're going to make it. And being the young, influential, you know, 18, 19 year old that I was, I was like, oh, okay, you're right. So oh, no. I found fitness, but luckily it all works out the way that it's supposed to, right? So I know mm-hmm. just enough, a little bit about everything to maybe sort of talk about it, but not enough to actually do it. So don't come to me for any athletic training or physical therapy advice. Go to Billy. <laughs> <laughs> But kind of like you said, I always wanted to be an athlete and it was infectious to be around that environment, but, you know, didn't have the skills and abilities. It sounds like maybe we were all kind of in that boat. Um, But you mentioned something that I want to talk to you about because I still to this day tell people that I'm going to be an Olympic athlete. Boom. And it might be that I'm the fittest 99-year-old senior Olympic athlete, but I feel like at 99, surely I can be fitter or more athletic than some other 99-year-old, right? Like, that's my goal right now. (laughs) I have pretty good genetics. My grandmother, my great-grandmother lived to be 102, so I have pretty good genetics, and she was independent all the way up to 102, still lived at home by herself. So I feel like I can be fitter than some other 102-year-old. Why not? Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned that sports had taken you to the Olympics. So tell mm-hmm. me about that. Okay. Uh, it was a, a deal where I, I did the 96 Olympics, uh, not as a uh, an Olympian so uh, athlete. It was as in sports medicine. And uh, so uh, I spent uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, hot Atlanta. Yes, uh, I was there. Uh, yeah, I was there for uh, 47 days, uh, did all the pre-camps, uh, uh, was a host athletic trainer with the ACOG uh, organization and covered everything from Olympic baseball uh, to uh, I was at the uh, practice track every day, Stone Mountain for tennis, and then went to the Olympic uh, track uh, for about three days and uh, covered those uh those events that were, were pretty fun. The 800 meters, uh, uh, I remember seeing a young lady, uh, Diane Modal, she played, for, uh, ran for uh, Great Britain, and uh, she actually tore her, you know, everybody says, you know, I tore her hand. No, this young lady 
tore her hamstring and uh, her uh, bicep femoris was in two. She had a big old lump and Ooh. yeah, it was. She tore it, didn't sprain it, and uh, so anyways, those uh, allowed me to uh, be more adventurous in my career and and uh, led to a lot of fun stuff. And then I, I did the uh, 04 Olympic time trials in Sacramento and in the pre-camp at uh, Chula Vista. Uh, I was on my way to, you know, maybe qualifying for the uh, 04 Athens, but uh, my wife had a young uh, baby boy that was my son, and I just couldn't, you know, I couldn't be away from home that much, <laughs> and I wanted to st- stay there. So it was a pretty good deal, and, and, and I've done a lot of uh, uh, extended stuff in pro athletics, so mainly rodeo and arena football also. Oh, wow, and okay. so those th- things were just, you know, gravy on the potatoes or the you know the cherry on the sunday whatever you want to because they were fun and uh it would it lent itself to to be around some pretty unique people so yeah okay you just talked about some of the most amazing experiences that people would kill to have in their career to work with professional athletics and to work with the olympics and to work with pro rodeo athletes but the smile that you got on your face when you talked about your son (laughs) you just like lit up like it was amazing so yeah family has always been very very important and uh but it was a blessing this career has been a blessing to my family because uh they got to do stuff uh you know it was not every 11 year old gets to get on a charter flight to go with a football college football team to another state uh in oregon and cover a football game being a water boy and, and, and come back and eat like a king and all that kind of stuff he just had a great time you know and my uh, oldest son uh, he has a, a state finalist uh, championship ring you know from uh, uh, his time at uh, John Tyler High School so that's awesome you yeah. just said water boy though and now I can't get Adam Sandler out of my yeah. head <laughs> the movie Bobby Boucher <laughs> um, so you've had some really amazing experiences what would be I mean it's like, I think the more I talk to you, the more I feel like Sol Ross is blessed to have your diverse experience here working with our athletes and teaching our students. So what would you say has been the, like, like what advice would you have to, you know, people that want to do what you do, that want to work in athletic training to be able to get into some of those key roles? And be oh, able sure. To- well, it, it, it's like anything. You uh, got to jump in with both feet. Be willing to learn and uh, communicate and uh, meet people. You know, a lot of uh, uh, kids, you know, they worry about life balance. And life balance is something that uh, is important, especially whenever you're talking about maybe burnout or something like that. But this is your life, okay? This is your career. This is what you want to be. So jump in and do it. And uh, things usually tend to work out. And, and for my experiences, my whole family got to be a part of it. And that made it even more richer, you know? So very, very fortunate. Very fortunate. So I'm not ignoring you, but I'm come back to you in just a minute. But uh, yeah, I want to ask fine over here. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I talk to you, really, I learn more about you. So I want to know from all those diverse, you know, you, you've worked with Justin Sports Medicine team. Yes. So you've worked in pro rodeo. You've been to the Olympics. You said you worked with arena football. You've worked at collegiate athletic level. What's been the, like, craziest injury you've ever seen happen? Hmm. Okay. The it, it doesn't sound like a lot, uh, but this young man dislocated his knee and uh, had a... Uh, a perineal nerve uh, lesion that uh, took uh, about uh, about five years to recover from, and uh, it was the worst injury I've seen. But it really 
projected his life in a totally different way that he had planned on. Uh, we were in Tyler, Texas, and just right across the border in Louisiana, in Shreveport, is Barksdale Air Force Base, and that's where the A-10 uh, Warthog uh, planes are. And in, at the time, there was a guy named Jeff Dutton that played for the Dallas Cowboys that had been a former A-10 uh, pilot. So this was all on his mind. And whenever this happened, uh, I mean, it took that off the because he couldn't pass the physical uh, for the Air Force, and uh, everything turned out okay. But his trajectory of life changed, it was, so it was a life-changing injury. And I, I uh, often put that down because I've had a couple C2 fractures, uh, I've had some other knee dislocations that you know they were really really bad. But I saw this because it happened to him as a, a younger high schooler, and. Uh, and I saw how that changed his life. And uh, however, you know, things did turn out very well for him. And, and uh, his name was Amon Ra Daniels. We called him Ra Ra, and he was that type of person. <laughs> and uh, he uh, really came to the table and, and, and turned out to be a great human being. So, but things do happen like that. And I just remember the impact it had on my life, uh, how it changed his. So, Spot, you've been working in athletic training. You said you were doing it in high school. You did it in Howard College mm -hmm. before you came here, and now mm -hmm. at Sol Ross. So what about you? What's the worst injury you've seen so far? Ooh. We were at State for soccer back in 17, and it was a semifinals game. And he went to go kick the ball, and his foot got caught in the turf, and uh, he <laughs> had a both a tib and a fifth fracture and a dislocated ankle. So his and leg went forward, but his foot didn't. Right. So okay. his toes were pointing the whole wrong way. Oh, wow. And that was probably the worst one I've seen. That was one time I've seen a splint get put on. Um, probably the second one's probably the spine board. Um, oh, yeah. We had an athlete get thrown down, uh, and the bull stepped on him, actually split his helmet in half. And I was actually uh, here in Alpine at a rodeo and got him spine board and got him sent off. So that's probably the big two for me that – really made an impact so far. So as a young trainer being involved in those, how, like, did you respond in the way that you thought you would? The first one at the soccer game, no. I was I was only a sophomore in high school, so I was still learning taping ankles. Um, but with the spine board one, I, I think I reacted pretty well. I've, I've always been one to kind of run to it rather than away. Mm -hmm. um, I got a mall shooting story about that. <laughs> Everyone's running away, and I'm like, who is it? There's a shooter. <laughs> Let me run at them. That sounds like a smart idea. Yeah. Maybe, we, maybe we need to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> Not in this podcast. But, um, <laughs> no, as time's gone on, I've, I've, I've seen stuff, and I've, I've learned to react a lot better and quicker because I want to be sure they're okay and get them to the right place to get their care handled. So I, I think I've evolved really well as a student to do that. So as someone who is the same age as our students, you're but you're in the trenches because you're – working as a student athletic trainer, correct? Mm -hmm. Is that the correct way to say it? Yes. Okay, so, because um, in our program, you are, I never say it correctly, Billy Ray, how do you say our program? It, we're an apprenticeship program, apprenticeship program. for okay. the state of Texas. Okay. For licensure. Okay, so you're working toward your licensure. Mm -hmm. So you have to get 1,800 hours of experience yes, during your undergrad program to sit for your licensure exam, right? Yes, ma'am. And then you have to study and pass the exam in addition to the 1,800 hours. Yes, ma'am. Okay, so there's a lot of hours that goes into this. So you're putting in a lot of time in addition to taking the classes and studying for the exam and Absolutely. doing all the things. So you're putting in the hours, and so mm -hmm. you're around the athletes. And right now here at Sol Ross, we treat both of our, our traditional sport athletes and our rodeo athletes, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. So you'll offer services to all of them. Mm -hmm. So again, you're the same age as these athletes that are coming in for treatments that, that or that you're on the sidelines, you know, waiting to assist as they need it. So mm -hmm. what's it like to treat them? Do you see differences in the 
traditional athletes and the rodeo athletes or like oh. ha- do you feel like they act differently around you than they do around Mr. Laxton like oh absolutely <laughs> <laughs> they throw me under the bus with Mr. Laxton <laughs> did he feel a pop no sir did you feel a pop yeah I did he always kind of gives me a look I'm like man what's going on here um if we're asking about the differences and how they treat it um with it's kind of the same in a way with both traditional and non-traditional. Um, they all kind of go through those same five stages of, of healing um, mentally, but um, they kind of do it in their own way. Um, I think with the cowboy pride, that's more common. You know, they're hurt. They're going to hide it more, um, and they're not going to come to you usually until it's really bad. Um, with traditional athletes, it can be the same, but I think they usually give in a little bit more. But some people kind of want to be pulled out, while some <laughs> don't. And Typically with the rodeo athletes, they're paying their own money, their own fees out of their own pocket with all these expenses. They don't want to be pulled out because that's their investment in their life. Well, and the other thing I would see too is that they don't have the rigorous day-to-day practices and coaches grinding on them in the same way. Like my football players that are in IC in class who are like, okay, we have to go sit and watch game film for three hours. We have to go be on the field for two hours. We have to do conditioning for two hours. Like they don't, the football team, I mean, the rodeo team doesn't have that same, it's their own schedule and their own itinerary. Like if they want to practice, it's up to them. I mean, CJ has a schedule for them, Mm -hmm. but it's not the same physical rigor. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that football is, right? Yeah, I would say the rigors are a bit different. So it's kind of hard to practice 24 seven. Right. You can only ride so many 2000 pound animals at one time. Yeah, I mean, definitely, I don't wanna, I don't wanna, don't take that to mean that I'm undermining rodeo at all, that it's definitely physically rigorous. The actual competition is, but the practice is different, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, The physical nature of the practice is very different. Mm -hmm. And so I think sometimes I have seen in my class, at least some of our traditional sports athletes who are like, oh, I have a runny nose, I can't practice today. But it's not that they don't love the sport and they don't want to play the sport, it's just that the rigor of practice can be very wearing on you, Mm -hmm. right? Where they still want to play in the game and they still want to compete, it's just the rigor of practice. Whereas what you said about the rodeo athletes are like, it's my money, like I'm gonna compete with my leg hanging off of my body, like barely attached, right? Like because, you know, like- (laughs) I hope not, but yes. (laughs) And I can't, you know, as a rodeo athlete, you're competing for your own individual, even though you're part of a team, it's still an individual competition. Whereas if the football team, if one player sits out, the whole team can still play. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a little bit different. Like our quarterback got hurt just recently and our team is still having to play without our main quarterback starting. So. Yep. That's right. I, I would agree with him. Um, <coughs> rodeo uh, people have been always been a little stoic and uh, maybe deny. And then they're the first ones to bargain <laughs> in dealing with all this. Oh, uh, but um, they've also made a, a pretty good uh, shift in the way they think because they want to prolong their careers and uh, they want to uh, be able to be uh, a active uh, participant at a high level or the highest level they can as long as they can. So they see that picture and they see what we do. <coughs> so, but yeah, with that being said, I, I think it's uh, changed a little bit, but what he said traditionally, I think is true. Yeah, so you talked about those stages. So, you know, some of those stages are like, they deny that there's an injury mm-hmm. and then they get angry about it and then they try to bargain their way out of it. And then, <laughs> yeah. They, they come around. They come to some acceptance eventually, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> so are they ever, um, what's, I don't, 
wimps about the treatment, right? Because sometimes pa- treatment can be painful, right? Sitting <laughs> in an ice bath can be painful and going, you know, I remember from physical therapy, some of those things can be really painful. So are they ever like, ooh, that hurts, I don't want to do that? Yeah, um, back in high school, we had this sign, uh, Red Gaines put it up saying, uh, no whining in the training room. <laughs> <laughs> it works sometimes. I was going to say that's virtually <laughs> impossible, right? Like, oh, But I mean, yeah, some, they're going to be like, yeah, this hurts after a while, but and pain's kind of your scale when you're doing it. Uh, like, if it really, really hurts, obviously, we don't need to be doing that. Right. Um, but sometimes Marines, pain's weakness to the body sometimes, and really going through that process and getting better over time that's the big thing and once they kind of see that they're like oh let's keep going and then the mentality kicks in and things become start becoming a lot easier for them i think okay so you just brought up an interesting quote pain is weakness leaving the body so from a (laughs) trainer's perspective what would you tell our audience about that quote well if it's keeping you up at night do not follow that quote (laughs) (laughs) so basically rubbing some dirt on sometimes like okay but um if it's really causing you problems to where you can't do your job then that's that's when you kind of throw that mentality away and really get some help. I probably opened a can of worms just saying that. Quote. <laughs> oh no, no, I, I, I mean <laughs> the one that uh, that always uh, kind of you know if you're feeling pain, you know you're alive. Okay, so you know the things could be worse. So you know, and and I, I get uh, you know the the mentality, but when it comes to uh, uh, healing pain can be your friend and and so when it gets hard or or when it's uh painful if if you're you know going about a safe regiment and and you have informed the patient why we're doing this things kind of get put in perspective and and they're willing to accept some discomfort and such but but he is right if it's too painful too difficult then you probably shouldn't be doing it you know it's just common sense right yeah. So what do you see with the athletes um, after injury when they have to return to the sport? So let's say they've had a pretty severe injury. They've had to have a treatment or a surgery or sit out for a while to heal. And then when they go back, what are you what are you seeing with that? What's their mindset like? You know, are you and do you see any difference again between the traditional athlete and the rodeo athlete? No, I don't think so. Uh, there is always that uh, apprehension, mm-hmm. whether of re-injury or can I do it again like I used to do it, you know, whatever that uh, that feeling is. So that's kind of universal. Um, it is a deal where, uh, you know, in competitive collision sports or heavy contact sports, you're probably having to do it more than once, whereas in rodeo, if you can get on that – bull or get on that horse and do your thing at least once it's such a big confidence builder Mm -hmm. and you know and that's why you hear well just get back dust yourself off get back on and uh if you can just do it one more time and have some success then it it really feeds um whereas uh in the um arena of a basketball or or even football it's just like every time that one thing happened that you got hurt doing it was a little flinch, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it, and it's just human nature. And I think uh, you have to build the confidence in their skills before they even get back to a return to play. So that's usually your end of your secondary uh, healing and, you know, much of your tertiary healing, that they're really getting that uh, confidence back. Yeah, I, I totally agree <laughs> with that 100%. Yeah. <laughs> 
So in talking about, again, the kind of the comparison between the traditional athlete and the rodeo athlete, what are we seeing with um, concussions these days? That's such a, you know, hot topic in, in both arenas right now. So how are our athletes dealing with that? And what advice do you have for people listening? Maybe either if they've had a concussion or haven't had one yet, how, you know, what advice do you have? That's a, well, that's if, a, if they're in doubt, hold themselves out. Okay. Right. It's just, it's that simple. I think the, uh, wait, did you mean to rhyme there? Yeah. Well, it is a saying. <laughs> Cliches are true sometimes. When in doubt, hold it, yourself out. out. Okay. Yeah. And, and it, it's a, uh, 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 situation where it's about tracking so the care in uh secondary uh school and in collegiate and even in pro uh you know even you know with the situation with the miami dolphins recently the the level of care and tracking and observation is way higher in rodeo especially in smaller pro rodeo that you can compete in this rodeo go half across the country and compete in another rodeo and no one even knew you had any type of problem the rodeo before Mm -hmm. and it's that easy because there's no tracking there's no uh actual oversight if you will whereas in uh Collegiate athlete, athletics, secondary athletics, and in the pros especially, there is a lot of tracking. So I think uh, you, it's harder to hide a concussion at those traditional sports, whereas in rodeo, it can be quite easy, to be honest with you. And, and, but now rodeo to, uh, athletes, to their credit, have now seen the light, and many will self-report. That's very unusual, uh, especially on the male side. But uh, they're starting to report, and that is a big uh, benefit to them and to the people who are trying to take care of them. What do you think about, like, the new PBR league that they've started? Have you all seen that, that they have started PBR competition as a team? I love that. So I would say, from what you just said, that maybe that's going to be something that could be helpful because now Mm -hmm. there's an actual coach. There's some management and some tracking and some statistics. And, you know, hopefully with you're part of a team, then someone wants to make sure that you're healthy and they're keeping up with what's going on with you. So maybe that does start some of that reporting and sharing of records that you mentioned. Keeping each other accountable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, got to speak briefly with uh, Tuff Hederman about all this. And uh, he's an alumni from here. And uh, it was all about... Just take more ibuprofen or more at the time aspirin. Take more aspirin, mm-hmm. you know. And it, there was a, a Motrin and Nuprin had just came out, so they, you know, they were uh, getting used to the, the idea of just like if your head hurts, just take more medicine. And now, if you were to talk to him, and it's like, you know, he's a producer. He he has these events. He uh, uh, does all the media to it and everything. And the first thing that comes out of his mouth is like, we, we've always had to increase safety. You know, nobody wants to see anybody get hurt. And uh, so these things are coming from him now, older and wiser, you know. <laughs> but it is a deal where the science is finally catching up with the, uh, the rodeo athletes, especially the bull riders. So, Yeah. Awesome. So what, um, what is the protocol here at Sol Ross if you have an athlete with a concussion? Um, definitely see if you get them through physician care. Um, we got to have physician sign off, and basically we get them through the symptoms, um, and then we can start doing return to play once they are symptom free. 
And you'll have a specific return to play protocol, right, that they have to check off and go through before they're allowed. Yes, ma'am. And then they have to get cleared by y'all and go through the coaches. Like, it has to be approved. Like, the coaches have to know that they've been cleared by you before they can play, right? That's true. Yeah, and uh, our, uh, we're real tight with our uh, medical team. And so the, many times they'll just say, well, did they fully complete it and uh, this, this staged uh, protocol? And uh, when we're able to report, they usually will just sign off on it. And there's been some times where we've had kids have to go in and get a maybe a, a third visit with a doctor, you know, and just to make make double double sure. But uh, yeah, it is came old hat, if you will, in a, a established protocol, and it has extended into cheerleading and even into rodeo. So they, they, these people understand. And, and it really has a lot to do with how well they set it up in the uh, public schools, in the secondary school setting. That really helps us because everybody's, <laughs> unfortunately, have either seen it or had one by the time they get here. So they understand that they have to do this. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty regulated, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to be mindful. I know Spot and I both have to go to class. <laughs> so I want to wrap it up. The last thing I want to ask is what piece of advice do you have as athletic trainers for anyone listening who is either a traditional sports athlete or an athlete, uh, rodeo athlete, how, like in order to either keep themselves safe to prevent injuries or to help them better recover from an injury, um, either physically or mentally, what is your advice for them? Uh, Take care of your body and, and do little things first, you know, move around more, you know, if, you know, rodeo athletes, we're on the you're on the road 24-7, maybe 14 hours a day, get out, stretch, and just move around. And after that, you know, maybe start going to the gym, you know, doing some stuff like that, and then and, and nutrition. Um, but also learn to have fun. Don't make it such a job sometimes. Think about other things and, you know, have that life balance, if you will, in the way. But um, really just take care of that physical and mental aspect. Have fun doing it and just move around, take care of your body. <laughs> I totally agree. <laughs> and especially on the nutrition because it not only does it help you prepare, but it helps you recover. And then the old adage I go by, especially in athletics, is you're only as happy as your feet are. So take care of yourself. So take care of your feet first and then everything else will follow along. Yeah. I love that old um piece of advice about John Wooden, how he would start with his athletes by teaching them to tie a shoe, tie mm -hmm. their shoes. Um, and I had never heard you say that until I was reading your um, report on your oh, interview, interview with him about yeah. you're only as happy as your feet are. So <laughs> can you tell me a little bit more about that? Can you explain to the listeners a little bit more about that? Well, his uh, self-experience, uh, I was trying to play basketball. I had just gotten myself uh, in a position where I was on the varsity in Sonora, Texas, and uh, I had terrible blisters and I was being hard-headed and I got to where I couldn't even move and I went right down that uh, <laughs> and never recovered from that uh, <laughs> uh, lineup uh, change and and it was one of those deals where uh, I just you know you're only as happy as your feet are and, <laughs> and uh, so might as well take care of them and uh, if I had just been mindful I would have probably been able to uh, withstand some of the the practices better and been a little bit having a little bit more fun like he said because i was miserable so that's where i got that from <laughs> i love it i've heard be where your feet are but i've never heard you're only as happy as your feet are so that's right I like it. um i don't think that i adhere to that because i love to wear high heels so sorry <laughs> sorry feet sorry feet. that may be a test question for the at students here just remember that <laughs> <laughs> Well, one other thing that I've heard y'all say in regard to going through the athletic 
training process is trust the process. And oh, so yeah. I know that that was something that was really important to y'all too, to remind the athletes of, you know, like you may not understand, you may not feel like this is going to work or that, it, <laughs> you know, you're not getting healed instantly, but you have to stick with it and you have to trust the process. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. And I would oh, love you. to sit back down with you again and go back through the last pieces of advice that you just gave and talk more in depth about the um, being more active throughout your day, proper warm ups, proper cool downs, the nutrition aspect of it, the mm -hmm. sleep aspect of it. So maybe we can do another episode at a later time and talk about those things, because I think that's so important. And we haven't even gotten to scratch the surface with that topic yet. So thank you so much for your time today. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you for yes. having us. Yeah. And good luck with all of your research. <laughs> and all of your genetics. Yeah, I need more love for that right now. <laughs>